Welcome to Earthy, where eco-loving meets adventure living. Here you'll enjoy stories from people living lives based on what they love. If you're sick of depressing news, you're in the right place. Earthy is designed to inspire and teach you about sustainability, earth-friendly lifestyles, travel, and well-being. Your host is an adventure and lifestyle author, Shannon Annette. Welcome back to Earthy. We have a great program here today. Uh, I'm really stoked about this interview. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please shoot me an email at info at earthydecor.com. I'm happy to oblige. I'd love to find new ways to learn about eco-friendliness, sustainability, and how we can make the environment around us healthy so we become healthy as well. Today we have Lisa Graham. Miss Graham is a very well-rounded individual. She has a varied background you're going to learn about. It's pretty amazing, and she ended up working with bees, and it's quite a journey. We learn about bees and business with this podcast on Earthy. So let's get into it. Today, I'm super excited to bring to you the queen bee, Lisa Graham herself. Lisa, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Lisa. So you're coming to us from Calgary, Canada, right? Yes, I am. All right, cool. Well, you know, reading about you, I like to do a little research about the people that are going to be on the show and so kind of get an idea of your history and path, um, you know, to make the interesting or make the, the interview a little bit more interesting. And you are very interesting. You're one well-rounded individual. So here's, I'm going to list off a couple things that I found out about you uh, sure. while, while researching. Okay, so you're a flautist. You, you're a flute player and instructor. Um, you, your title is Queen Bee, which I think is really awesome. Um, you're, you're a software developer, a biomedical, medical engineering, like you have a master's in that science. Uh, you have a bachelor's of science and software engineering. You are a webmaster. I mean, so naturally this path lends you to bees, right? <laughs> like how did that, <laughs> of course. Um, so exactly how did this happen? Cause it sounds like you're like super ambitious and smart and technical. And I'm just really curious to see how this all played out in your life and how you ended up where you are now with YYC, uh, beeswax. Okay. Well, this goes all the way back to where I grew up. I grew up in rural Alberta, uh, on my dad's side of the family, they own a feedlot, and I grew up in that community. And in the neighboring community, there was a commercial apiary, and I had the opportunity to work for them for a few summers before I came to university. Uh, then I came to, to Calgary, to university. Both of my degrees are from the University of Calgary, and I've been missing the rural life a little bit, and I really, really enjoyed working with the bees. So over the last few years, I've kind of returned to the rural roots a little bit. And mm -hmm. I, I've seen in through teaching my music students and teaching in other spaces, tutoring, I can see there is a lack of um, knowledge and links for the urban kids to the rural communities. Oh yeah, there's a huge disconnect from like our food source and yeah, yeah, and like life on a farm and like I'm I'm not from you know that I'm 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 from an I guess I could call myself an urban kid. I'm really suburbia, right? Um, yeah. So I'm like in between. I'm not, I'm nothing. No, <laughs> I don't know what to call myself because I don't really have the whole hustle and the bustle of the city. But I also have no idea what to do on a farm. Um, so excuse my ignorance, but what is a feed? What did you call it? A feed uh, lot? Feed lot. What, what is that? Yeah, uh, that, that's, uh, we finished cattle, mm -hmm. so they would uh, do the final processes with the cattle before they go to slaughter to go into the, um, to go into stores for food and everything. Okay. Oh, man, that would bum me out, but that's because I'm a suburban person, and I have a disconnect between the food I eat. Oh. We, didn't, we didn't do the slaughtering on the yeah. feedlot. They shipped away, but we got yeah. the cattle in their last stages before before they're shipped away to be slaughtered. So. Okay. And then the next tornado was an apiary. That's the, that's a bird, that's a bird deal, right? Uh, that's actually the, the bees. Oh, I didn't even know that. What's apiary? Yeah. Apiary is the bird. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Apiary, apiary comes, uh, so the, the honeybees are, uh, apis mellifera, I believe is the Latin name. So the okay. apis, uh, goes into apiary, the API. Mm-hmm. 
So it's uh, basically a bee, bee operation. Okay, Your cool. Your last lesson for the day. <laughs> I know. I appreciate that, man. I'm already feeling so schooled. Um, okay. So about this um, apiary, um, what did you do? Like you were an intern and you just like helped out or like what did your daily look like when you learned how to work with these bees? Uh, I kind of fell into it. I was actually petrified of bees when I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I was young, we went on a field trip there, and I refused to go in because there were bees, and I was so scared. And then 10 years later, I was there working with the bees, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I spent my summers there. So it was usually July and August. So the period of the beekeeping season happening at that time, I got to do supering, so that's when we add boxes on top of the hives, and the bees are going to fill those with honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I did pollen traps, so we put those on the hives to collect the pollen. Um, it's good for for allergies, uh, and it, it's really cool to pull out a pollen trap because you'll get all different colors from yellow to orange to brown, depending on what the the bees are finding in their foraging. That's cool. Yeah, and then after that, in August going into September, we hit extraction season. So uh, I didn't do any field work. It's very heavy, very hard work. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was actually in the extracting room uh, with the extracting machine helping to extract the honey. So very very messy process <laughs> <laughs> and that's when it like spins right to help all the honey like go to the metal with the centripetal yeah. force and all that okay yeah you usually in the larger operations they have what's called a hot room and mm-hmm. it has a heated floor and we keep the temperature really high the temperature in a beehive is usually around 33 celsius okay so we increase the heat a little bit in there to make sure the honey stays viscous and then we put it in the machine, we take the cappings off of the frames, and then they go into the big centrifuge where the honey is spun out. I kind of feel like there's got to be an opportunity for like a hot bee yoga, honey yoga, hot honey yoga. <laughs> I don't that know. amazing. <laughs> I know, right? Because you would have the, all those nice floral smells, I'd imagine. There's got to be something like, you know, good for you, breathing in the honey. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds <laughs> like a new business opportunity. I mean, YYC Beeswax may have to support that. <laughs> you might have to. Yeah, you're like our local event. Yeah. We don't do yoga in the park. No, no. <laughs> That's actually pretty fun. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about, like, bee products. I had no idea about the pollen traps. I've seen the pollen in the stores. We'll get to that in a little bit uh, down the road here. But I'm, I'm picturing myself as you, and I've gone through this rigorous program. I got my master's in biomedical engineering. I read some of the – I didn't read the actual papers, but the topics of some of the papers you wrote during your schooling. Uh, you know, like uh, the disconnect between your, uh, you know, your, the doctor and the patients and things like that. I was actually a paramedic for 10 years, so I was like, yep. <laughs> you know, um, truth to that. So I'm just curious how, you know, you want to get back to your roots in, in, in more of an agricultural or farming or rural setting. How do you go from biomedical masters to the bees? Like, was it just that one experience that decided, like, triggered a passion inside? Or, like, what happened? Oh, I think I am in the process still of marrying everything together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I started with the bee stuff, uh, I was noticing people were having a hard time finding beeswax products. And I go to farmer's markets and I see the beekeepers there. They don't generally have very good websites. They're not tech savvy. Yeah. So my software engineering degree, I knew I could use that to make beeswax more accessible for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So that was how I, I brought the kind of the egg space a little bit into in the beeswax area mm-hmm. into the tech space. And then with my master's degree, uh, I focused a lot on uh, community health programs. And through that, I got into more of the preventative medicine. And thinking about it, I want to create something where people can have high quality food that's going to help prevent them from needing extensive healthcare services to reduce the burden on the healthcare system. And that in turn frees the time up for doctors and healthcare providers that are so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. If we prevent people from going into the system, it's going to allow them to serve their patients 
much better. So that's how I see everything tying together right now. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice way to, you know, use all of your different assets and, and goals and passions. Um, so explain to me a little bit about what YYC Beeswax is and kind of your goals with the company. All right. So I kind of fell into it by accident while I was doing my master's degree. Uh, the project I was doing was very people centric and people are not necessarily the most reliable, especially when they're volunteering for a research study. So I found while I was running my study, it was a six week data collection period. I would send out my emails to everybody at the beginning of the week and then I would have not a whole lot to do for until I sent out my next round of emails the next week. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of sitting around, and I don't like to be bored. And <laughs> it doesn't my, sound like it. <laughs> my boyfriend at the time was, uh, he had started his own business, and I had been selling uh, beeswax sheets on Kijiji for a while, and people seemed interested. So I thought, well... Let's just start a business and see what happens. Can you explain to me what um, a beeswax sheet is? And then also for our listeners, Kijiji is like Craigslist for Canada. But go ahead. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so a beeswax sheet is basically, uh, I purchased them as about eight and a half by 16 inch sheets that are maybe about three millimeters thick. Mm-hmm. And they have, you can get them as smooth sheets or have a honeycomb pattern on them. Mm-hmm. And they're actually very similar to what I put in my beehives, except these are made exclusively from beeswax. And depending how you cut the sheets, uh, you put a wick in them and you basically roll them up, you get different types of candles. So you can make paper candles, pillar candles, I uh, make a cute little beehive. There are tons of options. It's just limited to your creativity. So you were making these sheets and selling them or were you finding them, sourcing them and then reselling them? When I first started, I was actually volunteering at the Women's Resource Center at the university. Uh, there was a shooting at a coal polytechnic in uh, Quebec and they the shooter was targeting female engineers oh wow so we were selling candles the women's resource center was selling candles to support this uh, awareness of this event and I thought it was perfect I was a female engineer mm-hmm. and I went to help them make candles and I really enjoyed it so I ended up purchasing beeswax sheets mm-hmm. yeah. and I didn't realize they come in packages of 10. There were 24 different colors. It's a lot of candles. You can make anywhere from one to four candles from a sheet. Cool. So I, I made all these candles and I had fun, but I wanted to make more and there was no way I could burn all the candles. So <laughs> I started the candles on Kijiji and people were contacting me for the sheets because they wanted to make their own candles. So that's how I got into the sheets. That's cool. So I I basically bring them in for people uh, and resell them. Mm -hmm. So I don't make, I don't have the facilities to make them yet. One day I would love to have them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's how I kind of got started into the the beeswax products and it has exploded from there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, what what is your goal with the company? So the goals of the company, I, as we've seen, I'm I'm really interested in the egg space and marrying the technology and using my technical skills as Mm -hmm. a software engineer, uh, bringing in some of that medical stuff to create high quality food. So bringing the agriculture and the technology together and also working with the bees because they are a very important part of the agriculture system without the bees a lot of the the crops that need pollination, they wouldn't be pollinated as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just want to bring it all together mm-hmm. and create some really cool tech stuff that I can use all, all my different skills for. Isn't it crazy? Last podcast, we actually talked about um, 
the the guest I had on talked about how with your world and you're moving forward every step, the, it's like you're holding a lantern and you're walking through like a dark tunnel and you can only see the next step in front of you. And what you just described about your path to YYC Beeswax is just like that where you're like, okay, I just got my degree and now I'm getting my master's. Hey, this horrible event happened in Quebec and I'm going to honor it by, by volunteering and, you know, in this in this totally, you know, cool way that resonates with my roots. And then, boom, like you, you would have never known probably that your next step was going to end up, in, you know, in that world in a more significant way. Yeah, I even ask me when I was doing my undergrad degree, I would have never thought in a million years I would be where I am. <laughs> totally. OK, so, you know, I, I hope you can help uh, enlighten me and our listeners. I'd love to hear from your words or your opinion why bees are so important, you know, like. Is it just pollination, and is that required for, like, a good portion of our food, or is there other stuff mixed in? Yeah, uh, the bees are very important. The honeybees do get a ton of attention, especially with all of the issues um, around um, pesticides that are used in farming. Uh, But there's another aspect to it as well with our native bee populations. Mm -hmm. So the honeybees tend to pollinate higher up and the native bees pollinate lower down. But when both populations are present, the native pollinators are going to pollinate a little higher and the honeybees pollinate a little bit lower. So we get better pollination coverage. And that is really important for our food sources because a lot of the food we have in the grocery store wouldn't be there without our bees. And a lot of our native pollinator habitats are being destroyed as we create special farms. So uh, I was just reading a book recently uh, where they were talking about the pollination of the almond groves Mm -hmm. and they bring bees in just to pollinate the almonds. But the way they've set up their almond fields, there's no space for native pollinators and there's not a lot of other food sources. Mm -hmm. And the Nutrition of the bees, I think, is so important. So when you are giving them only one food source, you need to make sure you're meeting all of the needs for the bees. Right. So they need the pollen. It's really important for the brood development. Uh, they, that's what they're, they're feeding the brood as they grow. So you need to have a good protein source through the pollen for them. Uh, the nectar flow, you need to basically have a well-rounded diet for the bees. So the bees really need taken care of too. It's not just us looking for our, our next food crop. Yeah. Um, that's so, uh, embarrassing as, as part of the human kind <laughs> to have like exploitation of nature in a way where you just want them to serve your singular purpose when, you know, it works well when it's like a whole eco, like self-sustained system where it's all mutually beneficial and like to, to, to port in a bunch of bees just to, you know, further one, one goal that you need them for. I don't know. It just sounds dirty to me. <laughs> like instead of giving them a real, a real environment, you know, if you're going to house them. Yeah. And if you look at the, the bees historically, they, they are not really developed. They haven't evolved to be shipped across the country all the time. They have been, they make their home in a station <laughs> like and when they, they split their hive, half of the hive is going to go find a new home, but it's a stationary home. They're not being trucked everywhere. Hmm. So I, in, in my opinion, I think it's really hard on the bees to be moving them frequently. Yeah. I think they, they need to create their little home space, and it's healthier for the colony. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, um, you know, on that, about how important they are, um, you know, a few years ago, you'd hear a ton, at least in the U.S., about, you know, all of them dying and and, and hive collapse and things like that, like at a massive rate. Um, Is that still happening? It doesn't seem to be in the news anymore. I don't know if it's just not hip to talk about or what. Like, what's the status with that? Yeah, uh, I've actually been looking at some graphs about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the last few years, the winter kill rate has been quite high in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year, there was a 33% uh, winter kill rate for U.S. bees. In Alberta, um, our winter kill rate here was about 15%. Oh, man. 
although with that data, uh, it looked like the U.S. data covered all types of beekeepers. So there were small operations, uh, large operations. I'm not sure if they included hobbyists. It, from the data I was reading, it sounded like they did. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Alberta, they were just looking at beekeepers with over 400 hives. Okay. So there could be a little bit of uh, the numbers may not be completely comparable. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what the rates are for our hobbyist beekeepers for the small, smaller beekeepers. They may have a higher winter kill and mm-hmm. that could affect the percentages. Sure. Sure. But it's definitely much lower than in previous years. So that could be why you're not hearing it as much. Okay. Um, I- yeah. And what's that attributed to? Is it like, um, I mean, you say the wintertime, so obviously it gets cold and all that. But I thought there was like an issue with the pesticides or like there were certain things they were bringing home to their, you know, hives and then the entire like colony would die. Like exa- what, what's happening? Yeah. Uh, so in the Alberta report that I was reading, one of our, well, the top two issues we run into are wheat queens and the varroa mite. So the the wheat queen, that's going to have to do with genetics a little bit. So you can work on your the, the genetics when you're raising your bees, when you uh, put new queens in. You can take a careful look at the genetics and make sure you have the attributes that are going to create a successful colony and also be gentle bees. We don't want the Africanized bees Uh, So you can manage that to a certain extent, and there's a lot of research on queen rearing. Um, Hmm. The the second one, the varroa mite, uh, that one is one of the, it's a huge issue. Um, What these mites do, they get into the brood, and they they're they're also known as vampires in the bee bee world. Okay. Uh, they kind of suck the life out of the bees, and we see issues like deformed wings, shorter lifespans, and that comes into play especially in late summer when the queen is starting to lay what are called winter bees. So those bees generally have a lifespan of about six months, uh, and if you have a high um, high varroa population in there, you're going to weaken your bees and that in turn shortens their lifespan, which in the six month winter period can mean life or death for the colony. She's not laying during the winter, so we're not getting new bees. Uh, So your whole hive could die if you have a major varroa infestation. In the summer, it's not as big of an issue because the workers don't live as long. Mm -hmm. But when you need to have that six-month period where uh, basically you have one population for six months, it's not turning over. It's really important to be um, managing the varroa. Okay. Um, So what would you recommend, like, what are actionable tips I could take and our listeners could take today that would um, help the bee population? I love teaching people, so I would encourage people to learn as much as they can about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a lot of beekeepers that will offer tours of their operations, some of the bigger operations might have regular scheduled public tours. Those are pretty fascinating. Uh, if you just know of a beekeeper in your community and you ask them to see see their hives and ask what's going on with the bees, mm-hmm. that is also really fun. Um, I love it when I can get the kids involved and teach them about the bees. They're, they're just so fascinated. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, so just learning about it a lot. And if anyone is interested in keeping their own bees, yeah. The education part is super important. A lot of people may want to get into it just to save the bees, but it is a lot of work, and you need to really understand how to take care of them. Mm -hmm. It's like getting a cat when you know nothing about keeping a a pet or a dog. Uh, You need to understand how you can create a successful colony. You need to know about the medications, uh, what factors are going to affect the bees, and the honey isn't everything. <laughs> the yes, honey isn't everything. I like that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think it's the the most important part is to keep the health of your colony 
keep them as healthy as you can and support them. If you support them, they're going to give you back more than you you are giving to them. It's mm-hmm. uh, quite fascinating how that works. <laughs> and you said medicine? Like you have bee medicine? Yeah. Uh, medicine. Oh, yeah. For the It's for um, some of the issues we get in the hive, like the varroa mite. We have to medicate for that, uh, usually spring and fall. Uh-huh. So uh, with those, we have to make sure you put them in at the right time, in the right dosage, for the right time period, and you have to make sure they're taken out before a honey flow. Uh, so you just really need to know your timelines and what the hive needs for each stage. Uh, and then you're you're also making sure you're not getting you're not contaminating your honey if you're following all the rules and everything. Yeah. And earlier you were talking about vetting your queen to make sure she can like basically do her job. Um, that is super interesting. I just thought that you had to find the right, you know, species species or sex bee. I'm not really sure how that works. How, so how do you vet a vet a queen? Uh, you can look at their their genetics. So my queens are Italian queens. I haven't gone into detail on the queen genetics, but basically when you choose to raise queens, you can you want to pick a colony that's, uh, for example, gentle. So when you go in as the beekeeper, if you have really gentle bees, they're not going to get agitated. They're going to stay nice and calm. If that's a trait you want to encourage, then you're going to uh, encourage queen rearing from that colony. Whereas if you have a wilder trait, if you have a hive that's pretty aggressive, you may not want to, that genetic stock in your queens. So you might discourage them from raising a queen and you might buy a queen from a gentler stock and when you need to replace her, you will kill her off and put this new queen in. And that wow. will help get that uh, gentler. Hopefully, you'll get a gentler stock in that hive. So do you use, like, steam or smoke to get the bees out of the box when you, when you harvest the honey? How does that work? I am actually using the brand-new Flow Hives, and I'm super excited about them. <laughs> I've seen pictures. You just, it's like a spout, right? Like, you just... Yeah. That is so cool. Tell me how it works. Yeah, so the shape in the uh, super, which is where the bees are going to put all the honey, uh-huh. it's a hexagon, a repeating hexagon pattern. So the way the flow frames work, you'll have your regular hexagon pattern, And you put a rod in, and when you turn it, it's going to break the hexagon apart, and it's going to offset it. So if you think of it having the the peak of your hexagon at the top, the top and the bottom with the flat sides on the left and the right, when you turn the rod, it's going to break the two points and put them about halfway in the hexagon above. I don't know if that's a very good description. Yeah, and then basically what it's doing, it's breaking the cell, Mm -hmm. and then gravity is going to get the honey to flow out. Okay, and then as far as the house, you kind of like broke that particular piece, right? So does that mean they just build a new one, or there's one already built above? Like, how does that work? Yeah, the flow frames are already built out, so the bees don't have to uh, create a lot of wax. It takes a lot... Uh, the ratio of honey to wax, its I've read anywhere from 7 to 15 pounds of honey to 1 pound of wax is what oh. the bees use. Okay. Uh, so we're basically minimizing the amount of wax the bees have to uh, have to use. Okay. So the, the frame is built out to about the level the bees will need it. And then when it's broken and we put it back... They cap the honey when it's uh, what's called ripe, so that's mm-hmm. when the honey's ready. It's at the correct moisture content. They create a little wax capping, okay. and when we use the flow hive, it's breaking the cells, but it doesn't necessarily break the capping. When you put it back into its regular hexagon pattern, the bees walking over can tell that the cell is empty and they will eat away at the cappings and refill it. Cool. So they'll have to 
to fill fill the holes that were created from breaking it apart. Mm -hmm. And then they can refill it with another round of honey. Awesome. So it's it's a it's a, a gentle gentle way to access the honey. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know one of the selling points uh, for the flow hive is it's gentle on the bee, but I found it's gentle on the beekeeper as well. <laughs> for sure. Beekeepers uh, tend to develop back problems because there is a lot of heavy lifting, uh, and this just takes out a lot of the heavy lifting required. And yeah. There are still some issues using the flow frames. Uh, granulation is a big deal, especially if you have uh, canola honey. It granulates very quickly. Okay. Uh, if the honey's granulated, obviously it's not going to flow out. Right. So we're we're still it's it's a new technology. We're still working out the kinks, but yeah. I I am loving it so far. Cool. Well, um, you know, as you know, there's like a, a huge hobbyist, you know, movement with the bees, um, both for passion and fun and product and also to help save bees. Um, what would you say are some rookie like beekeeper mistakes? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I would say not knowing what they're getting themselves into uh -huh. is probably one of the biggest issues. And that's one of the reasons I really encourage people to learn before they get involved. Yeah. Uh, offer to help a beekeeper, uh, find somebody you can apprentice with, take a course from a local, uh, from, I know in Alberta, uh, we have the Department of Agriculture puts on a two-day course uh, that's really great that goes through the whole season of beekeeping. Cool. But uh, really just just learning and learning practically, I would really encourage not just the book learning. Right. Finding a beekeeper, working with them, going through a full season with a beekeeper before you get your own bees so you know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> right. Okay, and above and beyond um, overcommitting and not knowing what you're getting yourself into, what uh, practical mistakes have you seen made kind of time and time again? I haven't worked with a ton of real beginners. Okay. I know uh, from what I've heard, not in my experience, mm -hmm. I've heard the beginners tend to dig into their hives a little bit too much. They're a little too hands-on. Okay. So just stepping away and letting your bees do their thing without disturbing them. Uh, that was one of the things I've heard of. I haven't seen it in my experience, but I don't have a ton of experience in the mentoring space or anything. Okay. All right. Um, what I was going to ask you, like, what does a day look like for you as a beekeeper? I know that you have different seasons, like you have a harvest season, kind of like wine and other you know, crop. But um, yep. what's a day to day look like for this business? Oh, it's completely different every day, and it's awesome. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I am doing everything on my own right now. So if I have a bee day, I will check my hives. It, I have five hives right now. Um, three of them are in the city. One is on the border of the city. Uh, on an acreage. Mm -hmm. So I will do my bee checks. That usually takes between... I don't know, one and a half and four hours, depending what activities I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, then I'll come home and I might work on some marketing activities. I might be making products right now with the Stampede coming up. I am making a ton of product that's taking up most of my time. Uh, social media, I usually schedule that every week, so I only have to do it once. Mm -hmm. Instagram, I get notifications pushed to my phone, and I can post them. I usually have my phone with me. Mm -hmm. um, I do markets from, usually I get started May, June, and we go hard until September. October, I try not to book anything. Uh, November and December are really busy. And then from January to May, I do a lot of business development activities. Um, what else do I do? Workshops. Mm -hmm. I usually try and run those once a month. Yeah, like candle making workshops. I saw that on your website. Yeah. That's cool. 
Yeah. Well, you sound very organized that you have it all broken apart. You know, in my head, I feel like, oh yeah, I'm organized. I do these things and I have goals to like make my week. Okay. Mondays, I'm going to work on this Tuesday. And then that just doesn't happen. I have a great, I use Asana for like all my to do's and, or I have every like category of to do there is, um, you know, and I do, but it's like, I have so much, like I have to pare back and, and, you know, really focus on what matters. Like that's something that I need to constantly sort of reset on. Do you find yourself like, like, it sounds like you're pretty organized, but do you find yourself a little overwhelmed with the whole solopreneur and like where you have to constantly like regroup and try to decide what's the most important for your time? Yes, I, yeah, um, that's a a huge thing for me. Uh, I am kind of a a little bit of a retro video game nerd (laughs) and I've been using Habitica. Okay. As my to-do manager, I use that in combination with Todoist. I use them both. It's called Habitica. Can you say it again? Yeah. H-A-B-I-T-I-C-A. Okay. And you get your little 8-bit character, and you can go (laughs) on quests, and it's fun. (laughs) That sounds fun. I don't have a lot of time to play games, so that's, like, my game. (laughs) Yeah, to make to-dos fun. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so, So I have that one set up. I have... I I don't use the habit feature a lot, but I have daily activities and I try and check them off. If you don't get them all done, you lose health points and uh, it it just makes the to-dos kind of fun. Um, And I've also been using, uh, there's a podcast called I Love Marketing. Okay. And through that, I found what's called a 50-minute focus finder. Okay. And I just did one of these recently. Uh, and basically, when you have too much going on your, in your head and in your life, and you just need to regroup and reevaluate where you're at and where you need to be going, uh, you take this 50-minute time period and you sit down with paper and you just write down everything that goes through your head. And when, it, when I was first learning about this technique, they said, yeah, after about 10 minutes, you will probably run out of ideas but just stick it out for the full 50 and you'll have little thoughts that keep <laughs> cropping up. And I did it and I was writing solid for the full 50 minutes. I just had way too much in my head. Wow. I need to do that like hardcore. I'm, I'm happy that you, uh, I love learning new resources, you know, like life hacks from each other. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. And then, uh, once you're finished with that focus finder, you take a look at all your activities and there's, I had some things in there like, um, I bought something at a store and I had to return it. So that's been sitting in my head as something I need to do, (laughs) but I just haven't got around to it. So that went on the list. And then you take everything on the list and you start grouping it into uh, like a bunch of errands you need to run. Uh Uh, And then you can start grouping things that fit in projects. And then from there, you're creating your projects and all your, your larger categories and then you can go out and pick a certain period of time and get it all done I love it so yeah what they recommend with this technique is you do uh, I think he calls them 50 20 50 so you set your timer for 50 minutes you have your task that you're going to achieve in that 50 minutes and that's all you're allowed to work on. Uh, no interruptions from people, no phone, no email, no internet. And you just focus on that one activity for 50 minutes. Yeah. Then when the timer goes, you get 20 minutes to go do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and you do another focused 50-minute session. Okay, I love this. And I also can see a personal struggle with this. I think this could be like life changing and to get all those pesky things done that have been stressing out. Like I have, I have something in my car that needs to be returned to. And I just laugh when you said that because I've been staring at that for like a month, but uh, (laughs) every time I look at, I go, do I have the receipt? And that's, that's as far as I get. (laughs) It's so funny. But, um, but the, okay. So for me as a, like as a creative, sometimes it takes me you know, let's call it 15, 20 minutes to really get in high gear. So like as I'm writing or blogging, I bet I I always describe it like 
a high gear on a bike. Like, here I go, okay, I'm thinking, I'm processing, I'm starting to write, I'm composing, and then boom, I'm in, I'm in four gear, five gear, six gear. Maybe I'm up to ten. I'm like, yeah, I'm booking. And then someone says, hey, Shannon, can you do X, Y, and Z? And boom, my bike's just stopped. I'm like, dang it, you know how hard yeah. it is to start it up in, ten, in, in gear ten? Like, it's really hard. So I think sometimes it is really hard for me to break away in a short amount of time from a higher cognitive task. I guess I would just not, yeah. I would just not do those in the 50, 20, 50. I would do those other pesky things that are, that are like polluting my brain space. Is that, is that how you would apply that? Yeah, that actually relates to another article I read. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's called maker's schedule, manager's schedule, or maybe it's manager's schedule, maker's schedule. I can't remember something like that. Uh, but what the article talks about and, uh, this is super relevant, especially now that I'm running a business. Um, it talks about what you need as a maker and what you need as a manager. So on a manager's schedule, if you have an hour in your calendar, that is a bookable time period and you can, you basically fill your day with one hour slots. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're in a maker frame, it's exactly what you were talking about, where it takes you 15 or 20 minutes to get into the zone. Mm -hmm. And then once you're in the zone, you are super productive. You lose track of time. Oh, you yeah. Forget you forget to eat. Forget six to pee. Six or eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Forget yeah. To eat. Yeah. Forget everything. You have to go to the bathroom and you're just so in the zone. You just don't do it. Right. And yeah. Uh, so that is your, your maker schedule. So what I am trying to implement now, I've been setting aside maker days, mm -hmm. and those are days where I'm going to do those creative tasks where I need to be focused mm -hmm. uh, and I need that time period. And the article is really awesome. It, it talks about meetings and how uh, this goes back to software developer days too. If I had a meeting at three o'clock in the afternoon all day, that's in the back of my mind and I'm yeah. not being active as a developer because I know I have to make sure I get to that meeting at three o'clock. Yeah. Whereas if you have the meeting at eight o'clock in the morning, it's done and you don't have to think about it for the rest of the day. So you're going to be way more productive as a maker. Yeah, that's super smart. Um, if you find a link to that or I'm going to hunt for it too, I would love to share that in the show notes uh, because it sounds, oh, sure. yeah, it sounds amazing. And all these, re uh, all these resources, I'm going to try to link up. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, yeah. Any other like business hacks that you've learned as a solopreneur? Ooh, business hacks. Yeah. Like favorite tools or practices that have really helped, um, helps you, you know, advance. Working from home. Um, I have all, all my stuff happens at home and working from home was one of the hardest things I have found to learn, mm -hmm. but it's one of the most awesome things to to figure out okay and uh when I was doing my master's degree when I started I told my supervisor I was going to be working from home partially because I knew the lab environment was going to be too distracting for me and partially because I wanted to learn how to work effectively at home and it took me probably three years to figure it out mm-hmm and it was just a matter of playing with things. So I have a space in my house, so my computer space, uh, I use it for personal and for business. So I might have to set a time limit on it. So during certain hours, the only thing I can do on the computer is business activities. Outside of those hours, I'm allowed to do personal stuff. So it's setting those boundaries that work for me. Mm -hmm. And then there's also space boundaries. So maybe my desk space is for business activities. And if I sit on my couch, that's where I'm going to read my book. If I sit on one end of the couch and if I sit on the other end of the couch, uh, that could be maybe where I watch movies or something. But defining those physical locations, that has been quite helpful for me. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of the, the time of... Uh, temporal and uh, physical space and really setting the boundaries around and learning how I work and what I need to be productive and successful. Uh, so I, I have a, a little ritual I do every day to get into the, get into working mode because okay. it's really easy to just uh, sleep in every day. Yeah. And, 
because I'm at home. It's my workspace. It takes me two minutes to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I need to kind of get into the mental space. And I find this is a really good reset for me if I'm out for part of the day and I come back and I'm just not focused. Mm-hmm. So I do a tea ritual. I'm a big tea drinker. Okay. Uh, so in the mornings, I will get up. I'll eat my breakfast. Uh, do do whatever I need to do in the morning and then I have my tea ritual so that's when it's time to get to work so I'll turn on the kettle all well it's boiling I will get everything set up for what my first task of the day is Mm -hmm. by the time it's ready I'll make my pot of tea I sit down and now I'm in work mode go time cool yeah and what I found really effective if I'm out for a morning, if I have a bunch of meetings or something and I come home and I need to work and I'm not focused, mm-hmm. I'll do the tea ritual again. And that just resets everything. And it's a trigger. It says it's time to work. You have your pot of tea. Time to go. That's cool. I like it. I like it. Okay. On that note, um, do you have other resources like books? We already talked about the apps and the, and the articles. Um, but do you have any books um, that have taught you a lot about either how to start and run a business or something about bees and their health or eco-friendly, like on any of those subjects, do you have any books that are like, Oh my God, you have to read this change my life. Ooh, I love reading. <laughs> I, I'm currently reading profit first mm-hmm. and it is awesome. I, I, I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, what other books? I had one that I was recommending to people that was really good, and I can't remember what it was. Okay, well, if you can't come up with it, we can always shoot it in the notes later. It Was it a bee book? Sure. Uh, yeah, I do have a bee book. I can't remember the title. That one was awesome. I can <laughs> give was, you that one. Okay, sounds good. I, I think it was called Tales from the Hive or something. It was okay. a, I think he was a Canadian researcher who had tons of bee experience. It was a great read. Okay. That's where the almond example comes from and some of the pollination stuff I've learned. And Cool. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll get you the titles for those ones. Yeah, for sure. And then do you have, um, I don't know if you've read much into like the eco-friendly stuff and sustainability environment, anything like that? Are you, um, can you think of any books? I haven't read any books on that topic. I've just done Google searches and Pinterest <laughs> stuff. Okay. All right. Sounds yeah. good. Maybe yeah, we can the- find one like with a listener, you know, about that uh, pertain to, you know, bees, because it's definitely a huge topic, you know, in that world, sustainability. Yeah, and that's one of the projects I have in the pipeline for the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to create, I have a couple ideas around this, uh, but to, to support the bees, I wanted to do some hydroponics, aquaponics systems that are uh, completely off-grid using, uh, Alberta is one of the best places in the world for solar potential. Cool. So I really wanted to leverage that here so the solar power uh geothermal using that as well Uh and integrating the aquaponics or hydroponics i haven't decided which way i'm going yet (laughs) i'm right there with you (laughs) yeah 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 cool i think it's gonna be really fun and i also wanted i love the um the sharing community with uber and airbnb so i wanted to set up an airbnb escape where you build the bees into the wall. I saw something on Pinterest, I think, think an apartment building in New York that had a beehive on the apartment building window. So I want to do something like that, do an Airbnb getaway that has that as part of the house. I'm in love with that idea. And I want to do it completely off-grid. and Yeah. yeah, I am in love with that idea. Yeah, you know what would be like as a person just for me if you could build something just for me um <laughs> i would put that house like with plexiglass or whatever where you could see the bees doing their thing and i would put it in a treehouse because that's like my oh, ultimate that would be- wouldn't that be cool you would be booked all year long so <laughs> um yeah that would be amazing and that kind of wraps me into uh this other question which is you know what's next for you and what do you see yourself doing with yyc in the next, you know, five years. So you're talking about the aquaponics. And before I let you even answer the question I just asked, can I say that I'm I'm trying to start an aquaponics system here at my house? And I'm super excited about it. I'm in the research phase and I built, I like aesthetically pleasing and a minimalistic look. And so I built like a pallet wall, like a pallet corner, actually. It's like two walls put together. And I want to hang like 
gutters that I'm going to fill with those clay pellets and then, um, but have them slightly at slant so that, you know, the water drains appropriately to the next one and have them like tiered down to like a koi pond or something. So in my head, that's what it looks like. And I'm like, that'll be amazing. A water feature, you know, but I don't know. So yours, you have space so you can like scale and you can really go for it. So what, what, uh, I'm going to let you start answering questions, but I'm curious to know your ambitions with the aquaponics or hydroponics, and then also any other aspirations for YYC in the near future. Sure. Yeah. So I've been experimenting with hydroponics for a few years now. I am just renting the upstairs of a house, uh, a pretty small house in Calgary. So I don't have a ton of space right now in my living space. Uh, But yeah, the hydroponics, I've been absolutely amazed how it works. And right before Christmas, I had an opportunity to do a little aquaponics workshop. So I've got a peace lily with a beta, and that's my aquaponics experiment right now. It's it's fun. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that is cool. But yeah, it's it's been a, a learning experience and I I've learned a lot and I know there's still a lot to learn and I've got a ton of ideas I think that are gonna be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of the future of the company, that's one of the that's kind of the big project I would love to do. Right. Uh, but practically speaking, um I'm a self funded Yeah, it's a big chunk. And I, mm-hmm. I really want to make it work just without any outside investment. Yeah. And to invest in large systems like that, it's going to take, take a lot of investment. So I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to get the investment for that. In the meantime, uh, one of the big things with YYC beeswax, I wanted to keep it local. So using local materials as much as I possibly can. And I think it is really cool to expand. I love traveling, mm-hmm. and I think it would be really cool to expand the business to other cities around the world using the same ideas. Mm-hmm. So it would be locally sourced materials, uh, creating products that are based around the local culture. So I've just come out with three new tea lights for our Canada 150 celebration. I've got oh. Rock Man, Alberta Prairie Sweetgrass, and Quebec Maple Cream Tea Lights. Very Canadian. I have a Canadian maple lip balm. Uh, and I, I just think it's really cool to support and to highlight our local community. So I want to be able to do that in other areas. And that's one of the reasons I chose the name for the business as YYC Beeswax, which is the airport code for Calgary. Oh, I didn't so, even put that together. That's cute. Yeah. So eventually I would love to expand into other cities and use their airport code. So going into London overseas, LHR Beeswax, uh, going to Edmonton, YEG Beeswax, Vancouver, YVR Beeswax. So I, I think it's a really fun way to keep it local. Super fun. Yeah. And it will feed my need for travel because I can go visit all my little little companies around the world and get to travel and learn about new new cultures and all the minutiae for these (laughs) places (laughs) yeah that sounds really fun I like it it sounds like a good journey for sure anything you knew uh or I'm sorry anything you wish you knew before you started this you know journey this venture that people who are listening that maybe are starting out a business or who are looking into working with bees could take away (laughs) If I knew what I was getting myself into when I started, I'm not sure I would have started. (laughs) Um, Uh But the other side of that is don't let the fear prevent you from starting. Yeah. It's going to be, and it's going to take longer than you think it's going to take to really get established. I was expecting, uh, I've been in business for two years now, and I had all these grand ideas that things were just going to be awesome and and within two years everything is just going to work out and it's it's not there yet it's still a work in progress Mm -hmm. but the rewards I get every day being able to do what I want um, making a difference talking to my customers and have getting their feedback 
seeing their excitement when they find something they've been trying so hard to find and they type a Google search in, I come up and I can serve them. Yeah. It's, it's totally worth it. It's so rewarding. So just don't be afraid to start and you don't have to start. You don't have to quit your job and go all out right away. Mm -hmm. Start it, try it out, see if you like it. Um, do experiments before you get your business incorporated. Uh, you, you don't have to do a lot. I was struggling for a while. Everyone was talking about market research and I was thinking, I don't know what this market research thing is, but I, I did it before I started my business. I just didn't know it was market research. <laughs> you know what? I found this guy on Fiverr that, um, that, that Fiverr is like phenomenal. I don't know if you've used it, but um, yeah, he, yeah, it's, awesome. it's so, so cool. He um, does this market research. He does SEO search. So he searches keywords in your industry. So you tell him, here's what I'm about, you know, in a couple of paragraphs, your company, what you do and your goals and, you know, all that. And then he's, he takes that information and he does a keyword search. And I mean, you get like a 10 page report when you get back, you get which words are easiest to rank in the top three, their compatible, their, um, their or what's it called? A competition. You get the uh, estimated cost per click. If you were to do a Google ad, you get so much information. So that way you can kind of gear your pages with certain keywords to help you find your audience with better, like, you know, search engine optimization. Um, but anyway, I can include a link to this, to this gig and give this guy, you know, some free, uh, a PR, I guess. Cause he did a great job for me. It was like five bucks. I'm like, are you kidding me? How did I, what? That's awesome. I might have to, yeah, yeah, I'll have to shoot it over to you. I mean, I just, I was really impressed. I, I, I just am now implementing these keywords, so I can't tell you if it's, you know, had an impact or not. Um, yeah. And, you know, the whole Google SEO is, like, mystical. <laughs> it's, it's like fog. Uh, you know, you just never know. But um, we're getting close to the end, but I'm not done with you. Um, I actually have, like, two, I think I skipped over, like, two B questions that I really would love to get to if we can squeeze them in. Um, one of them is real practical. It's like... <clears throat> You know, you're a homeowner and you come home and you notice there's more bees in one corner of your house and boom, you see a beehive. What do you do? So are you talking native bees or honeybees? Um, I think I've seen the most, the ones I've, I've seen have been honeybees, but um, I didn't know if it mattered or what. I didn't know what you do. Like, what, what would you recommend so, as a bee person? So you're talking about a swarm of bees? Like a swarm and they've made a hive in like your house, like in the wall. Okay. Yeah. It was actually quite funny you should ask that because I was my neighbor just came over on Sunday and was asking bee advice for some bumblebees he had under his hot tub. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, so if it's a honeybee swarm or if you're not sure what kind of bees they are, you can call uh, your local beekeeping association and they... Uh, I know here in Calgary, if we call the Calgary Beekeepers Association, you can report a swarm, mm -hmm. and then they will contact beekeepers, and the beekeepers will come out and take care of it for you. Cool. Okay. Uh, a lot of times, if they're actually building into a house, we have to exterminate them, uh, seal it up, uh, basically kill the bees, because it's really hard to access. If they're on a tree branch or something, we can knock them into, the into a box, take them away, and you get a new hive of bees or um, there, there's some disease management things there. So sometimes we might have to just exterminate them too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, the, the best thing to do would just be to contact a local beekeepers association, find out uh, if you call your, your local, like if in Calgary, if you call the city of Calgary, they should be able to direct you to the right people. Okay. Uh, and then they, they will just handle it. You just kind of leave them alone. Uh, if you don't bother them, they're not going to bother you. And uh, a beekeeper should be able to take care of it. Okay. I hope cool. that answers the question. Yeah, I was just curious if you if, if beekeepers were able to sort of like relocate the hive instead of like, you know, um, exterminate. I didn't really know. Yeah. Because obviously yeah, that would be. Yeah, it depends on the situation. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you know a lot of people will just go in and and hire an exterminator instead of the bee the beekeepers, and so um, that was sort of a direct that was sort of like a, a leading question <laughs> because yeah. I didn't know like because I mean I'm like that was my hunch and I didn't know what you're gonna say you know yeah. but um, okay cool and then as far as the um, products of bee makes you know we touched on the very beginning that that you have like a pollen I forget how you I've never heard it a pollen trap. I don't remember how you said it. Okay, I didn't know that that's how you got the pollen. So tell me uh, just briefly about sort of the different products bees make and the benefits of them. Sure. Um, so I can tell you a little bit about the pollen trap just to give you some context. So it's basically yeah. a drawer you put on the hive. You put it underneath the brood boxes right at their entrance, and as the bees fly in, the pollen gets knocked off of their legs. Oh, and then you it's a doormat. Cool. And you've got all these little pellets of pollen, and you throw it in a bucket and put it back in. So yeah, it's, it's, it's dirty. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. It's like it's like dirty feet stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, that's what they use. Uh, it's their source of protein, and that's as I mentioned before. That's what they use for raising their brood. Yeah. So um, when we put the pollen traps on, we want to make sure the bees are still getting their nutrition. So uh, it's kind of a balancing act. Yes, we're harvesting the pollen, but we want to make sure the bee bees colony is also supported and they're getting the their protein needs met. Do you just give them some of the pollen and like drop it in their hive, or how do you how do you do that? I, I, I think how they work. Um, I'd have to read more about it. I haven't done it in a few years. Okay. Uh, but I, I think the pollen traps will catch some of the pollen, but not all of it. So mm. some of the pollen will end up going into the brood chambers for use in uh, brood ring. I've seen, uh, you know, little jars of bee pollen, and I tried to eat some once. Like, I didn't realize how, how it would taste. It wasn't super delicious. I know it's supposed to be really good for you. I can't remember why. <laughs> but um, how do you recommend consumption? And um, do you know what it's like, what the benefits are? I don't remember. <laughs> I enjoy fresh pollen from the fields. All the pollen I've had growing up as a farm kid, I remember going out to the wheat fields and chewing on the winter wheat. Uh, And the bee pollen, when I eat it, kind of reminds me of that. I get some of those uh, wheat barley flavors in there. Uh I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird in imagining things or... uh, Who knows? Uh, Uh But the the pollen can be really good for allergies. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get pollen from your local area and you start um, eating it, you, your allergic reactions can be reduced. That said, you have to be uh, careful if you have severe allergies. You probably don't want to just go nuts eating pollen. You'll have to introduce it slowly, but you're basically building up the um, immunities to your environment, so you should have less of an allergic reaction. Okay. And um, one of the things I'm exploring, uh, honey, I will be selling honey later this year. I'm really excited about it. Fun. And I've been uh, working with a lovely lady, uh, and she's talking about using honey for medicinal purposes. So one of the medicinal uses is to, to mix it with the pollen, and people can eat the honey with the pollen mixed in and uh, use it to reduce their allergic uh, reactions. Cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, I've heard about raw, unfiltered, organic honey being like, you know, like one of the superfoods, and you can put it you can put it on your skin, and you can, you know, ingest it for better, uh, yeah, like allergies, and, and um, I feel like all sorts of different GI stuff, and yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so It's absolutely amazing for wounds. Uh, the... Manuka honey is from New Zealand, uh, from the the manuka bush, uh-huh. and it is actually used in some medical practices because of its amazing healing properties. And I've noticed any honey seems to be absolutely awesome for healing wounds. So if you have a little a cut or a scrape or something, and you put some honey on it, it's going to heal faster. Okay, cool. It, it, it's amazing. Wow. And it's like antibacterial, right? Or anti-something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, there's The sugar content is really high in honey, so uh-huh. it's going to kill the bacteria. Okay. So. That is really cool. So you got, you got bee pollen, you got bee honey, 
And then yeah. what other products? Do they make anything else? You're, you, I guess you're using the wax for your candles. Yep, yep. The wax is another big one. And I would hazard a guess the biggest uh, things we harvest from the hive are the, the beeswax and the honey. Uh, they also make propolis. We don't get a lot of propolis here. It's more kind of in like river valleys I think you find it more so I'm not as familiar with propolis what what is that I'm not familiar at all (laughs) yeah I I don't know all the details on it it's kind of sticky feeling it's stickier than than the beeswax it's really soft I don't even I, I I can think of what it feels like because I've seen it yeah. and I know it's used for something but I can't remember what it's used for that's okay we, that's what Google's uh, for <laughs> yeah and, and then there's the royal jelly again that's something I'm not as familiar with I haven't used it or explored it Okay. Uh, royal jelly is secreted by the worker bees and that is what the queen lives off of that's her exclusive diet and when the, the bees are raising a new queen that is how a queen is made. It triggers some uh, genetic stuff, and there's hormones involved, and and it, it basically triggers the growth of a queen when they feed uh, exclusively royal jelly to the to the brood. That's cool. Um, uh, what else is there? Bee venom is another thing that is harvested. I'm familiar with it to the extent that I get stung. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, do you get stung a lot? I mean, do you wear a suit? Do you get stung a lot? Or, or are your bees more gentle and you do the whole zen thing? Like, how does that work? I find the gentler I am and the more patient I am with the bees, the less I get stung. So this year I've been trying to be really, really patient, really, really gentle, and I haven't been stung very much. My record in one day was getting stung 12 times oh. one of those times was on my lower eyelids that was fun and exciting <laughs> oh come on that's but, yeah, I was kind of miserable that day <laughs> yeah sounds like but, it yeah one of the interesting things about the the bee venom um I I can never remember I need to to look up this information but a bee sting and a wasp sting are opposite one is acidic and one is basic okay so as a beekeeper when you're getting stung by bees you're building up antibodies to the bee sting so when you get stung by a wasp you're actually exacerbating the reaction because your body tries to fight it with the antibodies it has developed for a bee sting and uh, with acids and bases of course you want to neutralize your acid with a base and your base with an acid so if you're stung by a wasp and you're fighting it with the antibody for the bee you're just adding more fuel to the fire so you get a a bigger reaction wow that's a bummer they don't play nice together huh interesting fact yeah yeah yeah. and I've also heard the bee venom is used for arthritis. I haven't read any academic papers or anything or seen any of the evidence, but mm-hmm. that's one of the things I've heard for bee venom. Cool. It just sounds like, I mean, once we I research and stuff about this, I feel like we're going to come up with like hundreds and hundreds of uses because um, I've already, yes. you know, come across a bunch on articles. It's pretty exciting. I love that we were able to learn a lot about bees and about, you know, being a solopreneur in Calgary and, um, you know, sharing your life experience with us. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your time and for all this input. I really appreciate you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I've educated and provided some awesome value yeah definitely um so lisa what is the best way that listeners could reach you oh i'm pretty active on instagram uh, my handle is at yyc wax uh the website is um really easy for me to get in touch get in touch with me through the website contact form it's yycwax.com and yeah, those are probably your best bets to get hold of me. Okay, perfect. I really appreciate you and your time, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you in the near future and talking some more bees and some business too. So, um, yeah, yeah thank you thanks. so much for having me. All right, have a great, awesome day. You too.
Thanks for hanging with us. I hope you had a blast. If you know someone who would make a great guest on Earthy or you'd like us to cover a specific topic, reach out at earthydecor.com.